thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We're starting a new series today. Say yay. <laughs> new series. It's called Great Lessons from the Lesser Known. Great Lessons from the Lesser Known. So we're going to take four weeks to do this. Both our campuses are doing it. Of course, they're hearing it at the Prayer Chapel venue also. So Ward Road and Carr. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at some of these Bible characters that, that are kind of lesser knowns. But not, we might pick a character that you might know about, but you might not know this truth or this lesson that we're going to learn from them that's applicable to our lives today. So that's kind of how it's going to go. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to start with the great lessons from the lesser known, but we're going to look at Hagar. And the subject, the kind of the subtitle or the first subject would be, this makes no sense. Say that with me. This makes no sense. I can't tell you how many times that, that through life and through life's circumstances that you just say, this makes no sense. I mean, it just, uh, I don't know what I can get out of this. It just doesn't make any sense. So Genesis chapter 16, going to be reading in verse 1, okay? So if you'll follow along. Now you'll notice here that we're going to be talking about a couple characters, but Sarah, Sarah and Abraham. It begins with, in Genesis chapter 16, with Sarai and Abram, because that was their names in, as we find them in Genesis 16. When we move over to Genesis chapter 21, you find that it's Abraham and Sarah because their names were changed to Abraham and Sarah. So we're going to be introduced to both of them. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she found this, out that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises May the Lord judge between you and me. Abraham responds and says, Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. She was near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the, the road, sure. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she said. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son 
you shall call his name Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Berlahai Roi. It is still there between Kedesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now, we fast forward to chapter 21. A lot has transpired. Abram is now 100 years old when Isaac is born. We pick it up. Isaac grew and was weaned. So he was about two or three years old when he was weaned. And on the day that Isaac was weaned, Abram held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abram was mocking. And she said to Abram, get rid of the slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abram greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and sent them and her off with the boy. She went on her way. She wandered in the desert of Beersheba, and when the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, and she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat, she sat there, the boy began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes. She saw a well of water. So she went and she filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Now this story is told to us in the book of Genesis, and of course Genesis means beginnings, and it's the first book of the Bible. If we were to go back to the beginnings, it's where God created the recording of God creating the heaven and the earth, God then creating man, woman, placing them in the garden, but it was soon after that that they fell into the temptation. They were deceived by Satan himself, and the deception was to turn away from God in disobedience and listen to him. As a result of that temptation and sin, when God had come and appeared to them, he rebuked Satan and he spoke a word that was the beginning of a plan, or I should say it was the introduction of a plan that God would have for all of mankind and their ultimate redemption. And the plan was spoken through a word and actually it was a curse on the earth 
but then spoke unto Satan. And I'll sum it up by saying this. God said that there's going to be a hostility between the seed of the woman and your seed. And this hostility will go to the point where eventually her seed will crush your head, although you will bruise his heel. And of course, that word was spoken about the future and Jesus, who would be the Messiah that would come, that there would be a confrontation. And you remember in that confrontation, although Satan bruised his heel by putting him on the cross, eventually through the victory of the cross and the resurrection, Jesus Christ crushed his head. Okay, so that was a prophecy spoken. It's amazing how God can put this all together over that many years. So that continued the, even down to this day that through that plan, there has a blessing come to us through Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 12 then, after the garden scene, God begins to reveal more openly the fullness of this plan. And it was through the calling of Abraham that he would make a nation, a family and a nation, that through that family and through that nation, all the world would be blessed. And of course, that's how the Messiah came, through the seed of Abraham. And that's why we sit here today, basking in the blessings of the Lord because of the seed of Abraham. Okay, that brings us, that's a major part of the, of the plan. But something happens. Just in the very beginning, you have this plan that is given, the plan that's going to unfold for the redemption of all mankind in Genesis, and then Hagar comes onto the scene. Now, this is a messy complication to the whole story. It would have been better maybe if it hadn't been there at all. But the neat thing about the Bible is that it tells it all. It tells all the good stuff, it tells all the bad stuff all the neat stuff and all the ugly stuff. And we can learn from it all in the Bible. But Hagar comes into the scene. It's a messy complication to the story. Ishmael, the son that Abraham is going to bear, is not going to receive the blessing. So you almost have to, have to ask the question, well, if he's not even going to receive the blessing, why did this even come into the picture at all? But there's a chapter and a that tells the story of Hagar, a lesser known to most of us. She's a slave girl, an Egyptian slave girl. She's low on the social status pyramid as you can get. She is simply that slave girl. Abraham and Sarah had recently been in Egypt. And while they were down in Egypt, they prospered for a period of time, became very wealthy. And when they were leaving Egypt to go back to the promised land, the land of Israel, that Pharaoh gave them some parting gifts. He gave them sheep, he gave them oxen, he gave them camels, and he gave them slaves. Now notice that the slaves are mentioned along with the animals, property, if you will, the livestock. As human beings, Hagar was invisible. She did not count. Her only value to Abraham and Sarah was that of a slave and then as a surrogate. The couple had been promised by God they will have children. Sarah gets impatient. She forces the situation. She tells Abraham, her husband, make a child with Hagar, which you would think is an adulterous situation. But really, in those days, it was the custom if a wife could not bear a child, you could give the slave girl to your husband 
and then they would have a child by the slave girl. So it was a common thing in that practice. But Hagar was simply a means to an end. A slave girl being used as a means to the end that would be a benefit to them. Hagar becomes pregnant with Abraham's child. But she unwisely, and she has a part in this too, looks with contempt on her mistress. Hagar begins to rub it in a bit when she, that she could get pregnant, but her boss could not get pregnant. Your problem, not mine, Abraham says. <laughs> Probably should not dwell on that too long, <laughs> how those things work out. So he says, do what you want to do. The result of that is Sarah begins to really mistreat Hagar harshly. She's now faced with a no-win situation. She stays under the emotional, possibly physical abuse that she's getting from Sarah, or she runs. She decides to run. She runs from this dysfunctional family. No one was going to miss what's-her-name anyway, really. So the story follows Hagar into the wilderness while on the run, we're told that an angel of the Lord comes to her. Strange. Now, let me emphasize, she's an Egyptian slave girl. By all accounts, a nobody. She was young. She was single. She was female. Everyone, everyone around her would say that God had no use for her. As I thought about this particular girl, I kind of went forward in my mind thinking about another young girl in a village there in Nazareth. Single, female, her name was Mary. Both women were visited by the angel of the Lord and given extraordinary news. Mary is told that she's going to have a baby and his name is going to be Jesus. Hagar is told she's going to have a son and his name is going to be Ishmael. And God would so greatly multiply her offspring that they would be too numerous to be counted. Hagar responds in that moment by naming this God that she encounters. Hagar becomes the first woman in the Bible visited by a divine messenger. She is the first woman to be given promises of descendants. She is the first woman to see and have a conversation with God. She is the only person in the, all of the scripture who gives God that particular name, and that was El Roe. El meaning God, Roe meaning God who sees me. Hagar, the Egyptian slave girl, the nobody, the invisible one, had been seen. Not by mankind, but by God, her creator. She had been seen. The slave girl was never called by her name, Hagar, by her owners, Sarah and Abraham, and yet God calls her by name. And he tells her to go back. So she goes back to Abraham and Sarah and has Ishmael is born. He becomes Abraham's firstborn. Meanwhile, Sarah finally becomes pregnant. Now, at this time, the story turns into a soap opera, literally. 
Listen, you've got two half-brothers, both of whom who could make claim to be the firstborn and have the inheritance. You've got Sarah, the mother of one of the boys, who despises Hagar, who's the mother of the other boy. So Sarah and Hagar are both married to the same guy. You've got Abraham. Both of the boys, their husbands, both of the father of both of the boys, husbands of both the women, and he's caught in the middle. I, I really believe that Jerry Springer would have called them up to be on the show. I know, I can imagine. Can you imagine that? Would you come and be on the show and the bodyguards are there and chairs are being thrown around and, and they're fighting? But it's very distressing to Abraham. Caught in the middle because he's the father of both of these boys who he's grown to love. But he realizes that Ishmael is not going to receive the inheritance, but it's going to go to Isaac. Sarah once again takes matters into her own hands. Even though she finally gets the son she was promised, she doesn't want this Egyptian woman around. She doesn't want the son of this Egyptian woman, Ishmael, around. She tells Abraham, her husband, send them packing. But there's a problem. Abraham loves Ishmael. It's his firstborn. But God tells Abraham, go ahead and do what Sarah tells you to do. God will take care of them. So for the second time, Hagar leaves the protection of Abraham's camp. A very wealthy man, a very wealthy family. She has to leave the protection of that, and she goes out into the wilderness. Only this time she's not alone. She goes out with Ishmael, her teenage son. Eventually they run out of water and they run out of provisions. They were ready to die, both of them. We're told that she takes the son and she puts the son in a bush and she goes quite a distance away, a bow shot away, because she, does, she can't bear to see the son die. Hagar puts Ishmael under the bush. But, say but, the God who sees is also the God who hears. So he hears the boy crying. And he responds, the second time the angel of the Lord visits this invisible nobody. Now, there are four lessons that I want to give you from this, okay? Four lessons for this. Number one, they're great lessons in this makes no sense message. The mystery of God's ways are beyond comprehension. They're beyond comprehension. There are things in this life that you're just not going to understand. And let me say this, it might not be a help to us, you will never understand them. You're never going to understand. We call them storms, we call them trials, we call them struggles, but they're just part of life. Young, they begin very young as you grow up, you have these struggles, you have these storms that come into your life. Now some of them we create, I've created, I've sinned, I've disobeyed actions, so I'm paying the price. The consequences of those actions, disobedience of sin, I brought the storm on myself. Some of them the enemy comes and causes. He's always trying to do something to deceive us, to trip us up. Other storms that we don't create or that Satan doesn't create, but there are storms that other people create in your life. Did you get that? 
There are storms that other people create in your life. We live in a fallen world. We live in a corrupt world. And because of that, there are people around us that are corrupt. And it's not just the fallen, because it's, there's a human nature. There's a human nature that's wrapped up here. So there's a mystery of God's ways that are beyond our comprehension. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5. Here's the wisest man who, who lived life, but he understood life in depth. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of the tiny baby growing in the mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. You just won't understand the activity of God. Abraham and Sarah caused Hagar's problem. They were the initiators bringing her into the scene. Now, Hagar certainly had her part, but they initiated bringing her into the story. Now, Abraham and Sarah are heroes of faith. If I won't be telling you this now, we emphasize Abraham and Sarah, Hebrews chapter 11, they're heroes of faith. We look up to them. We respect them. We expect to give, to give us great lessons of faith. And yet, in their fallen nature, in their fallen nature, just like in our fallen nature, we can do things that hurt other people. We could do other things that are not necessarily of God, but we do them on our own and cause other people great harm. That's what I like about the Bible, and I told you already, but it shows us even the corrupt part, the fallen part of some of our heroes of faith. So we get a good picture of all of it. But listen to this. God works out his supreme purpose within and in spite of our corrupt human nature or someone else's corrupt human nature. He's able to do that. So what do you do when my life makes no sense? I will remember God's word. Write it down. I will remember God's word. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 10 says that she received a word. The word that came to Hagar in the midst of her storm, if you will, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. Now, she hadn't seen this happen yet. She just had gotten this word from God. But how many know that a word can keep you in the most difficult of all situations? I cannot enumerate all the times that God has just given me a word, but has kept me through one storm after another storm after another storm. To hold on to that word. God will give you word. And, and do you know, God sees the big picture. I mean, we don't see it all. All we see is the immediate, and God sees the big picture. God's word is full of promises. And that word was enough. Personally, I've experienced this. John chapter 13, even the disciples, they didn't understand everything. They were very confused, even up to the death and days after that, very confused at what was happening. Here's what Jesus said to them, though, prior to that. You do not understand now, but you will know after this. And they did. After the resurrection, they said, oh, that's what it was all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12 tells us that Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we're going to see face to face. We're just not going to see, everybody in here, listen, we're just not going to see everything as clearly as we'd like to see them. 
But there's coming a day when we'll stand before Jesus face to face and things will clear up. The clouds will disappear and we're going to understand at that time. The second lesson, God may not make sense or God's way may not make sense in the moment. In the moment, it might not make sense. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, we are hard pressed, Paul said, on every side, yet not crushed. He said, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. So even though he faced all this perplexing situations and being crushed even within and without, he didn't give up. He held on to something, it was hard, but he held on to something. He didn't, it didn't make sense in the moment. Jeremiah chapter 29 is a good word. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good, <coughs> excuse me, there are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. God's plans are good plans. Say good. They're not evil plans. No matter what it seems like in the moment, no matter what it looks like in the moment, that doesn't mean that God's plan isn't still good. Everything else might be working against you, but God's working for you. He sees you. He hears you. He knows. We don't know, but he knows, and he's going to work it out. So when my life doesn't make sense, second of all, I want to rely on God's plan. I want to rely on the the promise, the word, and I want to rely on what that promise the word says, that God has a good plan for me, and he has a good purpose for you. You weren't born for disaster. If that were true, Jesus Christ would have never came. He would have just left us in our state of disaster. But because Jesus Christ came, we know that he wants us to work, live out that plan that he has for us. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 9, it says, return to your mistress. Listen to this. This is the word. Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Now, how many know that that would not make sense to Hagar? I mean, God appears to her. He reveals himself to God who sees. Wouldn't it have been good? Okay, God, you see me, and now you're going to take me on, make that great nation, bless me. What, God? Go back Where? Submit to that woman? <laughs> huh? Go back into that abusive situation? You know, go, go back into that, where I'm not being treated the way? Now, don't misunderstand me. And I'm not saying that there, you go back into situations that are detrimental to your health and physical health and, and things like that. But there are times when God's telling, telling you to go back and submit that we're learning, we're being perfected in our faith. So, return to your mistress. Hagar was living in a hellish situation. Sarah did this. She would still be property. She would be a servant. She would be a slave. She knew that her son wasn't going to inherit anything, so she was to go back and she was to submit to that. In the moment, it certainly did not make sense. Number three, God's provision is exactly what we need when we need it. His provision is exactly what we need when we meet it. God will not give you half of what you need. 
He'll give you just what you need at the right time. Now, here's where the problem comes in, is separating needs from desires. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says, my God shall supply all, what? God will meet all your, it doesn't say desires. It says needs according to his riches, his glory in Christ Jesus. So we have to discern because, you see, we have a lot of desires. Desires could be in the area, I desire for this to work out this way. And yet God says, I'll just meet your need. Doesn't mean he's going to meet your desire in that. When my life doesn't make sense, I will recognize now God's provision. I'll recognize his word I will, or promise. I will recognize his plan, and I'm now I'm going to recognize his provision. I've got to recognize God's provision. Genesis chapter 21 and verse 19, Hagar was told, then God opened Hagar's eyes. Now listen carefully to the comments I'm going to make after. She saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. There's times when we simply just miss or do not recognize that God really is meeting our needs. And let me explain that a little bit, and I'll use a personal thoughts that I have on that. I know that I've come through and, I, and, and there was a situation that didn't make sense to me and, and I had these needs in my life and I felt like if, I didn't, if they weren't met, I wasn't met, I wasn't going to be able to go on. And yet two or three years later, or it could be months, but years later, all of a sudden I say, wow, God really did meet me. I'm here. I'm alive, I've got my family, I've been able to feed them, I've been able to take care of them. But why I missed it or did not recognize is because I'm so focused on the way I thought it should work out that I missed that God actually worked it out. Come on, is that true? We miss. So we go through life missing the opportunities to be grateful to God for meeting our needs because we're so focused on but he didn't do it my way. You know, I really don't care. As long as my needs are met, what do I care? Oh, what heaven's gonna be like. We don't see God at work providing because it's not coming the way I thought it should come or it's not coming in my time. Therefore, somehow we God didn't really meet my need. God's provision is exactly what we need when we need it. Number four, we may, may not have an explanation and only a directive. We're not going to have an explanation to everything that God says to us, but we will have directive. An example I thought about while I was putting this down, I thought about driving, and merely my thoughts go to driving in the in both snow and the rain, but I remember the rain back east. It, it, you know, we think we know rain. No, when it rains, the heavens open, water comes down, your windshield wipers cannot keep up with it. You have to pull off the road, or as you're driving along, or in a snowstorm, I've been in snowstorms here, where when you're driving, all you can see is that white dashed line. And, and all you're, you're just looking for the next dash. You're driving and you're hoping you're on the right side of that dash. 
you know, and then you're going along and then you're looking for the kind of straight line on the side, but you can't see 15 yards in front of you and you're looking. So what do you do? To keep driving, you keep moving along, you look for the next dash and the next dash and the next dash. Isn't life like that? It ought to be that we just don't know. We don't have an explanation. We don't know what's ahead of us, but we see the dashes, we have the directives to go in that direction. God will not show the totality of his plan for your life. He has a plan for your life, but he's not gonna reveal the whole thing to you. Do you know why? You'd freak out. You couldn't handle it. Remember the movie? You can't handle the truth. <laughs> Something like that. No, we can't handle it. Back in the Old Testament, both in Joshua and Judges, we're told as they were moving in and occupying that, that land and taking that land that God was giving them, that I can't give it to you all at once. He said, I'll give it to you little by little because if I gave it to you all at once, the enemy would consume you. And that's exactly true today. If God showed you his whole plan, you'd be consumed. The enemy would just, he'd build you up in pride and you'd, you, you know, it's just all kind of misery would come to your life. So sometimes God has a plan that doesn't come with an explanation, just a directive. I came to Colorado that way, by the way. I, I came to Colorado. I, I had this whole plan, which I felt God had worked it all out. I was headed for college in a particular area and I, I saw a little bit of it, and I was excited about it. And then through one meeting, one service, God spoke to my heart, no, you're not going there, you're coming back here. But that one did not have some of the explanation I had with the other. It had no explanation whatsoever. Just come back. Had no idea what I was going to do, what I was going to do back here, but come back to Colorado, I have something for you. Now I stand here, 45 years later, and I say, God, <laughs> I had no idea I'd be here speaking to you like this and had the beautiful, blessed opportunity to do it for this many years. It's just been a blessing. But the directive, but no explanation. And sometimes the directive just doesn't make sense at that moment. It's kind of like when someone wrongs you or when someone does something to you that you know you don't deserve, or you didn't ask for it, nothing I did or you did to deserve it, but they wronged you, yet, say yet, I'm supposed to forgive them. My directive is forgive them. No explanation, but God, let me explain the whole story to you, God. Let me reiterate, because I've told you this before. Do you realize what they've done? Do you realize what I've gone through? Forgive them. <clears throat> Love them. God, come on. Love them? I mean, that's a strong word, God. I mean, you want me to love? It's a directive. Lord, I'm supposed to submit Go back and submit. I, Lord, th that job, you want me to stay? Do you realize what a jerk my boss is? Uh, Lord, and it's not just me, God. Ask anybody in the warehouse. 
We don't get an explanation, we only get a directive. And this word is filled with directives. Directives that have no explanation because of your circumstance, but they are God directives. Scriptures are clear. There are many directives in God's word. When I don't know what else to do, when it's not making sense, but I know there are certain things in his word, I simply follow those directives and I work with what I know. I work with what I know. One more thing. Don't trust your feelings. Feelings get you in trouble. And guess what? The Bible doesn't say anything about following your feelings. It doesn't say trust in the Lord with all your feelings. It doesn't say that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding or feelings could be inserted. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. So when my life doesn't make sense, I will rest in God's presence. Just in his presence, basking in that he's in my life, I'm in his presence, I'm gonna rest in his presence. When you're dealing with circumstances you didn't create, you're dealing with hurt that seems overwhelming, when you're wrestling with, at, at that time in your life, the absolute misery that's taking place, Carrying scars that no one knows. Weights, you simply have no idea what you're going to do. You rest in God's presence. Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. She said, I have also here seen him who sees me. I believe she had an encounter with God, transforming encounter in her life. A girl who grew up in a pagan world, the Egyptian world that had many gods, wood and stone gods, and all of a sudden, now she encounters, she said, I've learned the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even in the midst of it. To God be the glory. Amen. God is present, and we don't realize it all the time. He hears you in your pain. He hears you in your heart. He knows the misunderstandings that you're facing. You gotta rest in his presence. Because it doesn't make sense does not mean it's senseless. Because life doesn't make sense doesn't mean it's senseless at that time. You see, in God's presence, I find peace in the midst of chaos. I find perspective that overshadows the questions. And I find I have the power to overcome the pressures, the expectations, and the responsibilities of life. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.